Today I thought we would go through the 23rd Psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, as we contemplate... One of our most favorite psalms, certainly one of the most famous portions of Scripture ever written. I pray, Lord, that it would have special significance and meaning for us, those of us who are the sheep of your pasture, the flock of your hand. I pray, Lord, that today there would be a a fresh and a new appreciation for your guidance, your love, your provision for us, that we would leave differently than we came. If we've come burdened, that we might leave unburdened and just learn to trust in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is one, as you know, of the most famous psalms, if not the most famous psalm in history known by believers and non-believers. In fact, the Jews say that the world could do without many books, but it could never do without Psalm 23. Yet, I believe the world could do without many books, but it could never do without Psalm 23. Yet, I believe this psalm has been misused and misapplied for too long. In Pennsylvania... A lady wrote to Dear Abby and talked about a minister who was in their congregation and he went visiting the people in the congregation from door to door, house to house. And he went to one house and the people obviously weren't answering the door. He'd knock on the door, no answer, but he could look through the curtains and see the television set was on so he knew somebody was home, but nobody was answering the door. And so he left his card on the door and he wrote Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in. He left it there, and the following Sunday, a woman, the one who lived there, came up and handed him a card with Genesis 3.10 written on it, which said, I was naked, and so I hid myself, though I heard your voice. Now, that's a cute little story. But those are misapplied scriptures. And I feel the same about this psalm so often. I feel it's a beautiful psalm, though misapplied and misappropriated. When do you hear this psalm most often? Funerals. And though it has the reference of the shadow of death in it, the psalm is for the living, not the dead. A physician from Miami said, This 23rd Psalm has been enshrined on a marble pedestal for too long. We need to take it down, break it up, and use it. It's time to take it off of sympathy cards and inscribe it on our hearts. It's a psalm for the living more than it is a psalm for the dying. Now, 
All throughout the Scripture, God's people are known as sheep. It's a common phrase or metaphor that is used. The sheep of His pasture, the flock of His hand. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives His life for His sheep. Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection, Do you love Me, Peter? Then feed My sheep and feed My lambs. Now you'd expect this kind of metaphor coming from literature from the Middle East, which the Bible is. The Bible is soaked in the culture of the Middle East, sheep, shepherds, and so on and so forth. Yet, there could be another reason that God calls us sheep. It could be that God is such a great judge of human character and knows that the best animal to compare humans with is sheep, That of all the animals he could have used, he used sheep. He didn't use camels. He didn't use goats, though he did sometimes. But he uses sheep more often than not. There is a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller, who was a shepherd for many years. And he wrote his comments upon Psalm 23. And he wrote at the very beginning, Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock endless attention, and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is so similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears, timidity, our stubbornness, and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Now David, who wrote this psalm, ought to know he was a shepherd. In fact, he was out in the fields of Bethlehem when the prophet Samuel came to find and anoint a king for Israel. He looked at all of the sons of David and uh, he said, are these all that you have? Or the sons of Jesse? He said, are these all that you have? He said, well, we've got one kid out in the sheep fields watching sheep. Samuel said, go get him. And David, who was the shepherd boy, became shepherd over the flocks of Israel as God was over him. Now as we go through this, first of all, David begins with association. The Lord, verse 1, is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the association that he has. The emphasis is more on the shepherd than the sheep. And as David says this, it's a statement of dignity. Now, knowing that God has chosen to call us sheep, you might either be insulted or you might be elated. Because as we read from Philip Keller, boy, sheep are dumb animals. Thanks a lot, God. Thanks for calling me a sheep. Or you could be really excited that God, knowing the way we are, has chosen to take care of us as He does. David says this with dignity. This is with a sense of pride, of good pride. David grew up with sheep and he knew that the quality of life of the sheep depends on the care and the love of the shepherd. So in sort of a bragging kind of way, look at who my shepherd is. Sort of like a kid who would brag about his dad. My daddy's big and strong and can beat your daddy up. The Lord 
is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a statement of dignity, of association. Have you ever known someone with pets, but they didn't take care of them? In fact, you wonder, why do they even have that dog? They never really feed the dog. They never groom the dog. They never walk the dog. They never clean up after the dog. It's just a mess around their house. Then there are the professional pet owners. They go to the extreme. I mean, they care for this thing. They brush its teeth. They put the little dog sweaters on at Christmas. They have family photos with the dog. They take it to dog shows. I mean, they, they are just the best kind of owners. If, if the dog could speak, the dog would brag. Hey, look at my, who my owner is. I get in all the pictures. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a statement of dignity. He's not insulted. He's elated. Notice that David emphasizes the personal care of the shepherd. He could have written, the Lord is our shepherd. He was writing as a shepherd of Israel, as a king of Israel when he wrote this psalm. But he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the idea is that he personalizes it. He makes it something that's not just for the general public, though God can be everybody's God if you'll accept him and receive him. But the Lord is my shepherd. I understand his personal care. His meticulous care for me. There was a boy who was walking on the banks of the Mississippi River. There was an old man who was fishing on the same banks. And the little boy would walk up to him, ask him questions. And uh, the old man would try to answer them as he was casting his uh, little hook out into the river. Suddenly they heard this shrill whistle of that huge Mississippi River boat the River Queen coming by. And so suddenly he waves his arms. He says, let me ride, let me ride. And the old man says, look, this is the River Queen. She's too important to stop for little kids to give them rides. But he kept going, let me ride, let me ride. Suddenly that huge ship slowly did an about phase, came to shore, the plank went down, the little boy ran up, yelled over the balcony to the old man, I knew the boat would stop for me. The captain is my daddy. The Lord is my shepherd. He's more than the good Lord generically. He personalizes it. Now scholars believe, and we ought to recognize this right off the bat, scholars believe that David wrote this when he was older, not when he was younger. After he experienced much of life, which is important to recognize because you might read the positive nature of this psalm and say, well, that's an awesome kind of a sentiment about God. He must have written it as a young, positive person when life, the harshness of life hadn't worn on him yet. He hadn't experienced the reality of the harshness of life. Just wait till he gets older. He'll say a few different things than this. This is too positive for an older person who's experienced the rough edges of life to write. Scholars believe David wrote this after he had been attacked by Saul and almost killed, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and was restored, after Absalom had killed himself. And that's important. It makes it more meaningful. After all of the things he'd gone through, he can look back at life and say, the Lord is my shepherd, with dignity and with a sense of pride in his Lord. It's written by a man who had mileage, and for those of us who are starting off on the Christian life, we ought to listen to the words of David 
As an aged person who's walked with God through the thick and the thin, the good and the bad, the Lord is my shepherd. And if David were here today, I think he would counsel those who are on the edge of making a decision for Christ. Go for it. You'll have no better shepherd. No better way to entrust your life than to this person, the Lord. Then he follows up the association with a statement of satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is the result of the first statement. The Lord being my shepherd, the result is I shall not want. Or it could be better translated, I shall never be in need. Now that's a bold statement, isn't it? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I will never be in need. How could David make such a statement? How does he know what's going to happen the rest of his life? He hasn't lived his full life out to the end. He's written it when he was older, but how can he make such a bold statement? I shall never be in need. For this reason, the Lord being David's shepherd was the end rather than the means to an end. It was a choice to rest in the person of the Lord rather than what the Lord could give him. I shall never be in need. He is the end. He's the one I'm satisfied with. Not what he can give me, what he can do for me. The way I hear certain people talk about the Lord, they talk like they're some salesman. If you'll accept Jesus Christ, you'll have this and you'll have that and you'll have wealth. And they pitch him like they're some kind of salesman selling a product. As if the Lord is some kind of a means to an end. If you accept the Lord, then you'll have this. Well, first of all, you got it wrong. You don't accept the Lord. He accepts you. He draws you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Well, okay, Lord, I'm here making my decision. I guess I'll choose you. No, He accepts you. He's made the way for us. And He draws you to Himself. Secondly, to Abraham, God said, I am your shield. I am your reward. To the Levites, God says, I am your inheritance. Not accept me and you'll get this, this, this and that. The Lord is the end rather than the means. One of the marks of our society and our culture in particular is a pervasive, perpetual sense of dissatisfaction. I rarely meet a person who is content and says, I have enough. God has been so good, I don't need anything else. It's very rare to find that type of a person. And so Jesus says, beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And that's why in Proverbs 30, Solomon said, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that you prescribe for me, lest I be full and deny you, or lest I be poor and steal. Hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. A complaining sheep is a disgrace to the shepherd. Because it reflects the shepherd's care of that sheep. And it's complaining really against the shepherd. We need to be like Paul and say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Something that we learn. Rather than crying because we don't have all that we want. Because it reflects the shepherd's care of that sheep. And it's complaining really against the shepherd. We need to be like Paul and say, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Something that we learn. Rather than crying because we don't have all that we want. 
I heard a story of two teardrops floating down the river of life. And one teardrop said, who are you? The other teardrop said, I am the teardrop that fell from a girl who loved a man but lost him. But who are you? And the first teardrop said, I am the teardrop from the girl who got him. It seems like no matter what choice we take, we're never content. We always want more. But this is the statement of one who has made the Lord the end rather than the means to the end. Then, after the association and the satisfaction comes restoration. Verse 2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. These are all Hebrew parallelisms. They ascend with greater intensity as the phrases go along. First of all, he makes, first of all, he makes me lie down in green pastures, or as the Hebrew would say, pastures of tender grass. Tender grass. In the Middle East, when the sun gets really hot and it's fierce in its intensity, the shepherd will guide the sheep to the green grass because it's filled with moisture. It's refreshing. It's restoring. It's cool. In Ezekiel chapter 34, God uses the same idiom when He says of His people, I will tend them in good good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. But notice something about this psalm that you may have never noticed before. David said, He makes me lie down. It sounds enforced. It doesn't say, He lets me lie down. He shows me where to lie down. He allows me to. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I mentioned to you Philip Keller, who wrote the book as a shepherd. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23, and he gives his years of experience as he meditates upon this psalm. And Philip Keller said, I noticed that while I was a shepherd, there were certain sheep within my flock that had aggressive personalities. They were harder to lead. I had to be more forceful with them. They were like the top sheep rather than the top dog. They were always pushing, always going in directions that I had to slow them down. He said, the ones that were the less aggressive were usually the sheep that were the most content. Years ago when Dwight L. Moody, the evangelist from Chicago, visited Scotland, a man in Scotland told them how they in Scotland rescue sheep who have gone astray, who have wandered. He said to Moody, the vegetation on those mountains is so sweet that the sheep will jump down 10 or 12 feet to get to it. Soon their bleating can be heard as they try unsuccessfully to return to higher ground. The shepherd does not rush to the rescue, but leaves them where they are until there is no more grass to be eaten. After several days, they become so faint they cannot stand up. At that point, the herdsman will lower himself to the dangerous ledge below and bring them to the fold. Dwight L. Moody said, Why doesn't he go down as soon as the sheep gets into trouble? The shepherd responded, If we did, those animals are so stupid they'd dash right over the edge of the cliff and be killed. I wonder if God doesn't create circumstances that make some of us lie down. 
because we're so aggressive, we'd never do it on our own. We just jump over the edge. We're just wanting to be the top dog so much, we just jump to our death. And so the Lord in His love would create a circumstance to make us get flat on our back, to make us lie down and get some rest. In our culture, as you know, we reward and applaud the overachiever, the type A personality, the guy who stuffs 20 hours of work into an eight-hour day. Oh, yeah, look at that guy, hard worker. And not for long, he'll be dead soon if he keeps that up. The Greeks have a saying, if you always keep the bow bent, eventually it will break. And for some of us, the Lord may need to make us lie down in green pastures, as David said. Some of us don't know how to shift it into neutral. And when you do, you feel guilty. It's okay to rest and relax. Maybe nobody's ever told you that. Maybe you're the kind of just pushes, 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 and the Lord might need to make you lie down in green pastures. I find that this philosophy of push, 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 harder, 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 is prevalent even among many Christians. We think that fatigue is next to godliness. And, as one person said, we have become a generation that worships our work, works at our play, and plays at our worship. Because priorities are misplaced. Then he says, He leads me beside the still waters, or literally the waters of resting places, to provide refreshment. Now, the Middle East is dry. And the key is always the shepherd. The sheep don't know where the best watering holes are. Only the shepherd does. In fact, as Keller puts it, if sheep are left to themselves, they almost always find the muddiest, most disease-ridden holes to drink from. The shepherd knows where the fresh water is and will lead the sheep to those places of refreshment. The thirst of the human soul is much like the thirst of those sheep. Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. To the woman at the well, Jesus said, you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. And you could write that over every human endeavor, over every human pursuit. Whatever you're looking for, for satisfaction, drink of that water, you will thirst again. Our shepherd longs to lead us to the waters of true refreshment where we're drinking from His presence, from His Word. And I've got to say, the most serene, confident Christians I've ever met are those who drink long and hard and consistently from the water of the Word of God. As daily God leads them to those refreshing streams to get built up, their soul is nourished. As Charles Spurgeon put it, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. You can tell they're serene, they're refreshed. Next, in verse 3, the end of verse 3 and verse 4, David in this psalm moves to the direction that the shepherd provides. The direction. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sheep require major league leading and guiding. 
When we were in Israel a few years ago, we stopped at Bethlehem by this little well that we take our people to, and we have a little Bible study out overlooking Bethlehem. And we noticed a flock of sheep with the shepherd. We got off the bus, and we moved curiously toward the sheep with our cameras, clicking, clicking, clicking. And all the sheep, these bold creatures, these entrepreneurial types, are all huddled together with their faces buried in the fur of the other sheep. They wouldn't even look up. And the shepherd had to gently prod them and move them and almost force them to get them to follow him. They would just stay huddled together. He had to break them up. They require leading. And so David here talks about direction. He leads me. Or as we read here, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think in this psalm, the personal guidance of God is the emphasis. The personal guidance of God is the emphasis. We have a shepherd who longs to lead us. And yet, so many of us as Christians are so worried about finding the will of God. We cry out, I need guidance, I need guidance. Hey, you've got the guide living inside of you. The Holy Spirit resides within you. It's a built-in guidance system. The person of the Spirit of, of the Holy Spirit living, guiding you. We have the shepherd who guides. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, The sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name, and He leads them out. And when He brings out His sheep, He goes before them, and His sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. He leads us. The mob instinct is one of the most noticeable features of humans. We like to do things in packs. We like company when we do things. Though we say we're individualists, we like to say, yeah, I'm my own man. I'm an individual. We are individualists as long as other people are around us doing the same thing. Look at the people, even the kids. You remember when you were a kid, you wanted to be different and so you dressed how? Like your friends dressed. And yes, you stuck out from other groups of people, but you look very much like the crowd you were with. We say we're individualists, but we long to follow some cause, some person, belong to some family. Experts say the reasons kids get into gangs today is because they're looking to belong to some family that will accept them and love them and be like they are. The San Francisco Chronicle, the newspaper in San Francisco, obviously, ran an article on a man who wore a placard and liked to protest for almost any cause that was going on in the city, he would show up and be a protester. Didn't matter what cause it was, didn't matter what they were protesting or what the march was for, he would show up. And on his placard was one word, the word shame. And the newspaper interviewed him about this and he said, well, it covers just about anything and gives me a sense of belonging. It seems that as human beings, we're just looking for a cause to uphold, a place to belong, a leader to follow. That's the great thing about the kingdom of God. What better cause than spreading the gospel? What better leader than Jesus? What better family to belong to than God's family? He guides me. He leads me. As sheep, we need leadership. We need guidance. Then notice this. Paths. He leads me in paths of righteousness. 
I draw your attention to the word being plural, that it's not the path of righteousness, but paths of righteousness. Now, I'm not going to say that this means all roads lead to God because they don't. But that God gives us variety in His guidance. If you've ever traveled to the Middle East or places where sheep graze, and you've looked at the trails that sheep leave, you notice there's not ever one path. There are hundreds of paths. And if you've ever looked at the hills in Israel, you see sort of like little lines running throughout the landscape, places where the shepherd would guide his sheep, giving them variety when they graze. Why? Because sheep would ruin the land if they were left to themselves, they will blindly follow each other into the same trail time and time again until it becomes a rut. And it will ruin the land. It will erode the land. It will become overgrazed. It will ruin the sheep because sheep pollute the land that they eat on. And they would die. And so the shepherd in his wisdom and his love will take the sheep to various kinds of terrain on different paths, on different trails to give them variety so that the trail doesn't become a rut. That can happen so often. And God will give us variety in life. And it's not comfortable. He'll shift us around. He'll move around our circumstances. Oh, God, I don't like this. Yeah, but you need it. Here's an example. In the book of Acts, Jesus told His disciples and the church in Jerusalem, You will be My witnesses here in Jerusalem and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That was the plan for them. But what happened? Well, the Spirit of God moved in a powerful way in the New Testament church. And they experienced such a move of God. They saw so many miracles. And it was so exciting to be a part of that early church that in that place of comfort, they just settled in and forgot all about the commission to go out and share it with Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Until we get to chapter 8, verse 1, it says, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see, they had forgotten about the task that the Lord gave them to do. They had become lazy and complacent. Ruts do that, you know. So the shepherd moved them a little bit, changed their circumstances, shook them up a bit. Bruce Barton said, when you're through with changing, you're through. The shepherd will change often the paths that he leads us on. This includes, as we read on, the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. He's not speaking of death, but the shadow of death or the gloomy valleys that we travel into. The tough times. The paths are not always green and cool. Sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death. And of course, that's where the screaming comes in, isn't it? We don't like those valleys. We say, oh Lord, please don't let me go through this valley. Just airlift me from mountaintop to mountaintop. That's all I want from one miraculous experience to another. The Lord says, no, you're going through the valley. The only way to get up to that other hill is going down into the valley and up. Oh, and that's where the screaming comes in. We don't want our shepherd to lead us into those valleys. If we were to take a vote today, 
How many of you want to get rid of trials? How many would say yes? Probably all of us would. Who wants those things? But we have them and we need them. As the Arabs say, all sunshine makes a desert. And as we go down into those valleys of life, sometimes those valleys are the places of greatest refreshment. Have you ever noticed that? The very thing you're scared of, that valley, can be a place of nourishment and refreshment. Now, shepherds tell us that sheep hate to go down ravines. They get scared. It's dark down there. They can't see as well. It's more of a precipice. It it goes down and it's very steep. But at the bottom of the valleys, especially in the Middle East, are things called wadis, runoff, streams, arroyos, where the vegetation grows, where it's cooler, where there is refreshment and the water is fresh. And going down into the valley, at the very bottom of the valley, comes sometimes the greatest refreshment. And I bet some of you, if you were to give your testimony right now, could say some of the greatest times of fellowship I ever had with the Lord is in the times of suffering, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? Because, he says, you're with me. The presence of the shepherd makes all the difference. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's interesting to me because the rod and the staff are tools of the shepherd. The rod hangs off the belt. The staff is in the shepherd's hand. The rod is a club about that big with nails in it. You think, how can that be a comfort to a sheep? Because the shepherd uses it to beat off predators, wolves. I would say that's quite a comfort. That little rod that you use to beat off wolves gives me as a sheep great comfort. Peter said, the devil walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And sometimes we go, oh no, the devil, the devil. Hey, look at your shepherd. He's got a rod. That wolf has to get through your shepherd to get to you. And Lord, that brings me great comfort. It's sort of like the father and son that went to the zoo. They stood by the lion cage and they heard the lion let out that big roar. And the little kid starts shaking. Father just stays there, calm as a cucumber. Why the difference? Because the little boys focus on the lion. The father sees the cage that surrounds the lion. We have a shepherd with a rod. And we have a staff, or he has a staff in his hand, which is used to lead and guide the sheep gently in different directions. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Philip Keller, again, I mentioned him at the beginning and I mentioned him all the way through, said, as a shepherd, in the course of time I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and their owner and their protector put them at ease like nothing else could. Finally, and we close the psalm with this, provision in verse 5 and 6, provision. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. It's speaking here of abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a great way to close off the psalm because David is looking back at his life, probably writing it as an older fella. And he says, all that has happened to me, you've guided me, you've protected me because you've been with me. And I look to the future, I know that all the days of my life you'll do the same thing. I know that I have abundance because I've trusted in you. 
And what do I have to lose? Even forevermore I will dwell in the house of the Lord. But notice the mention of enemies. You prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Oh yes, sheep have enemies. You have enemies. In fact, you can tell a man by his friends and his enemies. Not only do you have the devil as your enemy and all of his little impish cohorts, but you have some human enemies. And if you are, let me put it this way, an aggressive Christian, I don't mean an aggressive sheep who doesn't rest, but a Christian who takes his Christianity seriously. You want to spread the gospel. You want to live the Christian life in your life, in your daily life. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation. Peter said those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're an aggressive sheep, you experience being hassled by the enemies of God around you. Now, if you're a complacent sheep, you don't care about living the Christian life, it's just a Sunday thing, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you take your Christianity seriously, you will have enemies, but you'll feast in the midst of them. Even your enemies will see, hey, God cares for them. God is providing for them. He's taking care even in the midst. And David says, the goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The Hebrew tov v'chesed, good and loving kindness, or the love that God shows because he's made a covenant with me. So, to kind of rephrase this verse, though I am chased and hassled by my enemies, I'll be chased and pursued by your love and your mercy all the days of my life. And I can't lose. I'll have overabundance in the midst of that. That's sort of a picture of life, isn't it? You're pursued by your enemies, but you're pursued by God's love. And in the midst of the heartaches of life and the hassles, you'll have abundance. Corrie ten Boom, I've mentioned her several times before in this church, who suffered through the Nazi concentration camps, said that there was a little poem that kept her going in the midst of all of her persecution, all of the suffering that she went through because she was hiding the Jews in her house and then put in a concentration camp. A little poem that ran through and through her mind almost daily, she said, was this. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus. Be at rest. In the midst of my enemies, I feast in that camp. Now, there are people who claim this psalm, but it's a false claim. They'll say, they'll read this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, but the Lord really isn't their shepherd. There was a minister who went to a religious gathering and he sat next to a movie star. And he couldn't figure out why the movie star happened to be there. He was a famous kind of a person and minister was trying to figure out why the guy was there. But they were having a conversation and the conversation naturally turned to spiritual things and the Bible and their beliefs. Just then the Toastmaster of the whole event noticed this movie star, this dignitary in their midst. And he asked him to come up and say something, recite something at this religious gathering. Of course, the movie star felt out of place. What do I have to share with these religious people? And the minister kindly handed him his Bible and said, here, recite Psalm 23. It's a familiar psalm. And so with a deep, resonating voice, the movie star went through, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, with drama and with intensity. And everyone applauded because he did such a great, dramatic job. But to his surprise, 
The minister was then summoned up by the movie star immediately after to recite the same song. Minister went up and recited Psalm 23 after the movie star had just done it. And with warmth, comfort in his voice, with all of the personal relationship that he had with the Lord, and when he was finished, there was not a dry eye in the house. There were tears in the eyes of people. There was tears in the eyes of the actor. And as the minister came to sit down, the actor said to the minister, you did a better job than I did, and I think I know why. I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. Some of you know this psalm, but you don't know the shepherd. You can also say, the Lord is my shepherd, and have all of these benefits that David had. Beautiful psalm, beautiful to reflect on it. Beautiful when it's a part of our lives in reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the time that we have spent. This psalm is like a friend to us. We've heard it. We've said it. We've read it. And I pray now, Lord, that we'd live it and use it. And Lord, if You are not the shepherd of some in this building this morning at this service, that You would become their shepherd as they surrender their lives to You.